this morning, or a couple of them. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Raise your hand if you believe in forgiveness of sins. Yeah, we all believe in... Which ones? <laughs> and whose? You know, we say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, and often we're anxious to have God forgive our sins. But there are some sins, you know, the Bible talks about the unforgivable sin. I figured out what that was. The unforgivable sin is any sin that's against me. <laughs> now, we don't say that, but that's how we operate oftentimes, isn't it? We want others to forgive us when we sin, but when it comes to us forgiving some when we are the one that's wrong, that's a little different story. We're not so sure when it comes down to sins against ourselves if forgiveness of sins is, is there. Or at least we have a criteria that you have to meet. You got to feel really, really bad. You got to come and really humble yourself and you have to beg. And maybe, maybe you'll get forgiveness. So it's funny that uh, in our responses and in our relationships, that's how we operate. But that's not what we're thinking. We all believe in the forgiveness of sins. So which ones and whose? Is it easier to forgive others when they sin against you or to forgive yourself when you've sinned against others? Which is easier? So in the place of judgment... When you come to the place where you're being judged, do you yourself prefer mercy or justice? So these are a couple of things just to keep in mind as we think about the scriptures that Charlie read for us a while ago. Do not judge or you will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In Romans chapter 2, Paul's talking to the church, and this is a pretty tough chapter to read if we take to heart what he's telling us. What he says is, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. So, Janet was asking Aiden to name a sin that's been committed against him. He said lies. And then she asked him, have you ever lied? And he said yes. And that's, that's exactly right. All of us are like that. Uh, we are quick to point out the sins of others... Not so quick to look and see that those same sins for which we're judging and condemning the other person are often operating within our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own minds. So he says, when we begin to point out others' faults or take notice of them and condemn them, we're actually passing condemnation upon ourselves because we are participating in the same kinds of sins. He goes on to say God's judgment is based on truth. And 
So when we pass judgment on someone else and yet do the same thing, Paul asks, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not, realing that, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Oh, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about somebody else's sin. And yet he's telling me that when I'm looking at someone else's sin, I need to be aware that God's loving kindness and mercy, his patience, is giving me an opportunity to repent. He talks about the stubbornness of people's hearts. And then he makes a, a really harsh statement. God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. Well, that's a bit of uncomfortable kind of thing there, you know. God's going to judge our secrets. Um, and this is a, a scripture that is used frequently uh, throughout the, the Bible. Psalm 91 says that God's going to take our secret sins and place them in the light of his presence. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that everything, everything is open and laid bare to the one to whom we must give an account. Um, Jesus says that everything that's hidden will come to light. And so these are things that we need to keep in mind as we think about judging and as we think about how we look at and treat other people. So he talks about it, uh, first half of the chapter, he's talking basically about the Gentiles, but starting in verse 17, Romans chapter 2, he's talking about the Jews. These are the people who claimed to be in right relationship with God. So we could substitute the word Christian in there. Okay? So you're a Christian. If you rely on the law, brag about your relationship to God. If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law or by the scriptures. If you are convinced that you as a Christian are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And then he starts listing a, a, a few here. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the unbelievers because of you. Hmm. So it's the measure that we use that's going to be measured against us. And as we sit in judgment on other people, we face the same judgment ourselves. So what measure are we using when we're looking at the, at the sins of other people? Amos chapter 7, God speaks in verses 7 through 9 that God is going to set a plumb line among the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he will not spare them any longer. So he says, I have a standard of measurement here, and I'm going to use it, and if you don't measure up, uh, 
then justice will be administered. And so he talks about this plumb line to make sure that if your life is straight or not. That's the northern kingdom. Later on in 2 Kings 21, God speaks again and he says, this is about 150 years later, Samaria has been destroyed because they did not measure up. About 150 years later, 120, um, now it's Judah, the southern kingdom. And God says in 2 Kings 21, the same plumb line, the same standard of measure I used to judge the northern kingdom of Israel, I'm now going to use to measure Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. So these guys were sitting back, southern kingdom, and they're saying, well, you know, our brothers up north there, they just didn't measure up. But we're okay. And yet, they were living the same lifestyle, committing many of the exact same sins. And they thought, well, too bad for them. Those guys, oh, we knew they were sinners. They were in rebellion against us, weren't they? <laughs> we were having a hard time with them, weren't we? God took care of them. Well, now he's going to take care of the people from Judah. So what is the guideline that he's using? Well, there's a couple of instances in the book of Isaiah that he tells us some of the, some of the plumb lines that he uses. In Isaiah 28, 17, God says that he's going to use justice as the measuring line and righteousness as the plumb line to judge the people of Judah. Righteousness and justice. Now, those are not just for the nation. Those are for individual people as well. Justice, doing what is right and just and correct. Um, not taking advantage of anyone. Uh, treating everyone exactly the same. And righteousness, that's the righteousness of God. Not our own good deeds. Later on in chapter 34, verse 11... When he's talking about the Edom, the Edomites, he says the measuring line will be chaos and the plumb line will be desolation. Now, oftentimes what we want is we want the justice and the righteousness and then we want the chaos and the desolation for the people who are opposed to us. And so what plumb line, what standard of measurement are you and I using to measure ourselves and the people around us because that's what it means to judge another person means that we are placing we're, we're deciding or forming an estimate an opinion it's a value statement that we are placing upon other people if you're condemning someone else it means they haven't measured up to a standard question is whose standard and it's interesting, as you read through the New Testament, that the group of, of the Pharisees, they had a standard that was far stricter than the one that God was using. And they condemned people that God never condemned. And they use it to exclude people. So, well, let me see here. I've got my list. And... You can do this, you can do that, you can't go there, you can't do that. You can be with these people, but not these. And you can participate in this activity, but not those. And it goes on and on and on. Now the problem is that each group has a different list. And then they look at each other's list and they say, well, my list is better than yours. So that means your list doesn't measure up to mine. So you must not be quite as good as we are. 
because your list doesn't match mine. Well, the only list that we are measured by is the standard of Jesus Christ walking in our midst. He is the standard by which we measure. We can always find somebody who's done things a little more worse or at least got caught a little more openly than we did. And we can use them to measure ourselves. You see it in politics all the time. You know, some politician gets caught in some morally compromising situation or some ethically compromising situation. Taking money under the table or showing favoritism to groups that support his or her uh, electoral campaign, uh, kickbacks to different things. And when it becomes public, all the other politicians unite in condemning that person. And then a few months later or a couple of years later, we find out some of those same people who were most vocal and most open in criticizing someone else in the Senate or the House, they find, oh, well, they're doing the same thing or sometimes even worse. And yet they were the foremost in condemning and criticizing the other. So what standard do we use? What measurement? What value statement can we place upon another person? And so again, we're back to the point about loving the sinner and hating the sin. Um, you, can con you can not condone the actions of a person without rejecting the person as a person. That's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Um, because when sin is committed, particularly when it's a sin against us, we take it personally. And oftentimes it is a personal sin directed against us as a person. Other times we just happen to be there and, and get the consequences or the fallout of somebody else's sin. But it affects us all. And so how, how do we deal with that? Uh, again, C.S. Lewis talked about we do it every day in that uh, we love ourselves and yet we're all sinners. So we love the sinner even while we're hating some of the things that we're doing. So he, all Jesus is saying is we need to be consistent with the measure that we're using. And we need to be consistent before God in understanding what he is doing and the guideline that he is using. Remembering God will judge men's secrets. And he knows everything about us and nothing is hidden. And we all have to give an account to the Lord who knows us well. So as Jesus was talking to these same Pharisees, this was the statement that he made. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. We are so caught up with what things look like or how things appear in the eyes of other people. It governs a lot of the things that we do. Sometimes it governs the clothes we wear, the places we go, the place where we live, all these other things, kinds of jobs we have, because we're constantly comparing ourselves with the people around us. And we're making apparent, uh, judges basically by appearances. You meet someone for the first time and you look at them, and there's a, uh, there's a, a, a process going on. You're evaluating that person. Well, does that person have a pleasing personality according to me? You know, uh, you can, you can look at a person and you can make judgments about socioeconomic status, uh, you know, all those kinds of things unconsciously, but we're making those value evaluations all the time. Walking down the street or in the store, you see somebody walk by. You're making value statements about that person 
Oh, that's an ugly dress, you know. <laughs> wow, that looks really good on that person. <laughs> Those kinds of things. We're making constantly value statements about other people, but we do it about character as well. And oftentimes, it's as things appear or as it appears to me. And usually it's how it affects me, but I stop and think about it. If I'm having a good day, most people look all right. If I'm having a bad day, I, you know, I can't stand myself, much less anybody else, and nobody's going to be pleasing to me. So I need to be aware of what's going on inside me as I'm evaluating and condemning or exalting the people around me. Because it's a lot of times it's what's going on within myself. And as I'm condemning or accusing someone else, it's really a statement about what's going on inside of me more than it is what the other person is or is not doing. It's what's going on in my own heart. We don't look at it that way. We kind of present, present it outwardly so that we don't have to face it ourselves. One of the frightening things about Scripture is that it says, the measure you use will be measured to you. And we are judged by our own words. In Luke 19.22, the parable of the ten minus, the guy who did nothing, he did nothing because he made a value statement. He judged the one who had given him the money to start with. He said he's a harsh taskmaster. He reaps where he hasn't sowed. But he just gave this guy uh, a large, valuable sum of money to use at his discretion, but to make a profit. And yet he says, this is a grasping, greedy man. And he misjudged the man. And so as he's coming to give an account, then the one who, to whom he gives account says, okay, I will judge you by your own words. And he did. That's not an isolated instance. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 16, this is a man who came from the battlefield reporting to David that Saul was dead. Now everybody knew that Saul had a, gr a grief, a complaint against David. Although David himself had not done anything to harm Saul in any way. He was a, in his relationship with Saul, he was righteous and he was correct. And he had the opportunity to kill Saul at least twice. And each time he said, no, that's God's judgment, not mine. And yet, we play God all the time in our condemnation of people around us. So this man comes to David and tells him about the death of Saul, and David starts asking him questions about it. And so this man, who is an Amalekite, he said, yeah... He was there and um, he was wounded critically. He was going to die, but the Philistines were coming and he asked me to, to kill him. So I did. Thinking that David would reward him for having killed his great enemy. And David said, your blood be upon your own head because when you said you killed Saul, that was your death sentence. And they executed the man. Happened again a little later uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 4 there was a civil war that lasted seven years between the house of Israel and the house of Judah at the death of Saul David became king of the southern kingdom 
of the southern tribe of Judah. All the other tribes were still aligned with the house of Saul under his son Ishbosheth. Two men, brothers, uh, Baana and Rechab, murdered Ishbosheth. And they cut his head off and they put it in a sack. And by night they, they made their way to David. And they said, We've come to turn the northern kingdom over to you. Here's the head of your great enemy. And David had these two men executed. Um, because, you know, if these guys don't like what you're doing and they're willing to, to kill the king, what happens if they don't like what I'm doing? <laughs> you know, this is what's going on inside these men. So David here is passing judgment upon these men that have sinned. And um, then he's confronted one day, later on in Second Samuel chapter 12, and Nathan the prophet comes and he tells him this story about this man who had cheated and taken advantage, a rich wealthy man who had, had cheated a man who only had one little lamb and he had visitors come. So instead of taking one of his thousands of flocks, he took the one sheep that belonged to the, this poor man and killed it for his friends. David got so angry, so righteously indignant at this heartless deed that he says... That man needs to pay back seven times and he deserves to die. And Nathan looked at him and he said, You are the man. So when we pass judgment on someone else, maybe it would be good to stop and think, You are the one who committed the same thing that they've done. Um, David was upset and willing to say this man deserves to die because he killed one sheep. David had a, arranged for an innocent man who was loyal to him and a servant of his who was faithful and committed. He arranged his death so that he could take his wife, which he had already had. He committed murder. He stole committed adultery, he lied, he abused his power, and he betrayed the gifting and calling of God on his life. But he was overlooking all of those things, but he was angry about a man who killed a sheep. I look at that and I think, man, David really messed up here. I mean, he really messed up big time. And then I stop and I look at my own life and I think, man, uh, I find myself in that position often, condemning other people for little things and not realizing the greatness of the sin in my own life, and yet willing to condemn them, but wanting to justify myself. Scripture's full of them. The whole book of Esther is geared around this theme, the conflict between Haman and Mordecai. And... Um, Haman goes to the point of even building a scaffold 75 feet tall that he's wanting to hang Mordecai on. And what happens at the end of the book, he himself get hung on the scaffold which he had built for someone else. That's the testimony that we have. Uh, we build the scaffolds to hang our opponents and we end up being hung on our own scaffold. So... We come before the Lord and we say, Lord, help us to judge rightly. 
So Jesus says, stop judging by outward appearances. Judge righteous judgment. Isaiah chapter 11, speaking about the coming Christ, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Oh, he's not listening to all the gossip. He's not making value statements about something he knows nothing about but has only heard a rumor. And yet he believes it and he passes it on many times. Particularly if it's something that people are having difficulty with or someone that uh, maybe everybody has agreed they're not really uh, good quality people. Well, we can all get together and we can, we can condemn them. The Lord does not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decides by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment, says Jesus. Well, the problem is that um, as we come before the Lord, we realize that the Lord is the only one who can judge. In Isaiah 59, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 21, starts off by talking about um, God is not deaf. He's not unaware of what's happening. And so in the book of Isaiah, the, the writer is complaining or asking a question about why God doesn't answer his prayers or hear him when he calls. And he tells him, it's because your sins, your iniquities, have separated you from God and your sins have come between you and him so that he will not hear. So when we're busy condemning other people, we're going to have a hard time praying for forgiveness for ourselves. Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us this day as we forgive those who trespass against us or those who are indebted to us. Uh, Lord, I want you to forgive me today in the same way that I forgive people who have offended me. Well, that's a hard prayer to pray. We say it oftentimes. It comes off, off of our lips. Um, but God hears that prayer. He hears that prayer. So our sins have separated, come between us and God in our value statements and our judgment of others. And so when we ask God to forgive us, then we have a real issue. But the issue, notice, is not with the other people, is it? The issue is between us and God. So Hebrews says that God judges the thoughts, the intents, the motive, the attitudes of our hearts and lives. And everything will be brought out into the open. So God is the one who judges all things. But the good news is that chapter 51, 59 of Isaiah doesn't stop there. It goes on and says that God looked around for someone to intercede on behalf of the sinners and he found no one. So, you know, here you are. I was in a, it was a German class, I guess, in junior high school. I was ninth grade. I'm sorry, I was in the 10th grade. German, German class. I'm not good at languages. I, uh, other subjects I do really well in, languages is not one of them. 
And I was trying to take German uh, because I was wanting to go to college and I have a language requirement to get in. Well, I didn't speak good German and um, we got down and I had a, a 69 and a third average. I needed 70 to pass. 69 and a third. <laughs> so the teacher's up there and he's looking at the grade book, you know, and he's, he's telling everybody, everybody's average and stuff. And he calls my name and he says 69 and a third. He said, uh, let's take a vote. Should I give him the other third or not? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the class voted on whether I got a third of a point so I could pass the course for that nine weeks. You know, I was sitting here sweating because I look around at these guys. And, you know, when you're in the 10th grade and your buddies are there, you know, they're going to vote for you. It's a big joke to them, but it wasn't for me. Sometimes we come before the Lord that way and we're saying, okay, will somebody stand up on behalf of this poor sinner? And we're saying, well, no, I think the guy's a lousy guy. I think he deserves everything he gets. Get it to him. And so God steps in and he says he looked for someone to stand up and intercede and he found no one. And he was appalled. God was appalled that no one would dare to die for ungodly sinners like you and me. This is Romans 5. But God in his love sent his son. And God himself, Isaiah 59 says, God himself became our redeemer. That's our hope. That's my hope. That's the hope of all these people that we stand and condemn every day. Their hope is the Redeemer died for them as much as he died for us. The best news is in Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24. It's talking about the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel, the first murder victim. He had done nothing wrong. Matter of fact, he had done everything right. He was pleasing to God. But he wasn't pleasing to his brother Cain, his older brother. And his older brother Cain killed him. And so when God confronts Cain, he says, listen. He gives him an opportunity to confess and he refuses to confess. And so God says, listen. The blood of your of the, the earth cries out to me because it opened its mouth to receive the blood of your brother. The earth rebelled and cried out to God over this unjust bloodshed. The earth itself was offended because when God created the earth, he created it good. And now the blood of murder was being shed upon it. And the earth itself trembled and rebelled and cried out to God. I wonder what God is hearing today. Today. What is God hearing from the earth? All the innocent bloodshed being, being shed today. And, and that's a righteous cry. It's a righteous cry for justice. Um, there's also a cry for vengeance. Retribution. That's going out. Hebrews says, we've come to the foot of the cross where the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Jesus is shedding his blood for forgiveness of murderers and adulterers 
and liars and thieves and sexual perverts and people from other religions and other nations and other nationalities and the blood of Jesus was shed for all of us for forgiveness for forgiveness for every one of these people that's good news because it includes us and the best news of all is that through the love and mercy the grace of God James chapter 2 mercy triumphs over judgment doesn't excuse it doesn't take it away there is no taking away of judgment judgment comes and it has come at the cross that's what the, that's what the cross was all about the judgment of God was satisfied it was given for you and for me it fell on Jesus who took our place it fell on Jesus who took the place of every person that we judge and condemn and so the good news is that all of us can come and find cleansing and forgiveness within the heart of Jesus Christ and that he offers to us and that means that we can leave judgment and justice in the hands of God and we don't have to take up that burden we don't have to pick up that weight of putting ourselves in the position of judge and jury and executioner of the people around us whether it's physical or emotional or mental or spiritually we don't have to make those kinds of condemning choices of the people around us we can bring them and ourselves into the presence of the Lord and leave it with Him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for being people who live a double standard every day. Using one set of values when we judge or excuse ourselves, and an entirely different set when people have done something that we feel has offended us in some way, real or imagined, um, actual, or just within our own minds. So Lord, help us to be free from that burden of setting ourselves over other people. Help us, Lord, just to come into your presence and present ourselves before you, asking for your mercy to forgive us and as we receive forgiveness that you would fill us with the grace to forgive those around us and that instead of people who deal with death we become people who deal with life sharing your grace instead of condemning put a burden on our hearts Lord for the people that we are prone to judge help us to heart our hearts to be broken and help us to see them as you see them Lord just like us, lost people who need a Redeemer. And present them before you in Jesus' name. Amen.